Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Hey, today on the podcast, we've got some good news to share about our future direction, which I'm going to save for the end of this podcast because we're going to be taking a break from the Gospel of John to do kind of uh, a bit of a vision meeting. Um, This is what we would normally do at our vision meeting, but we decided to just cover it on a weekend message uh, with the likelihood that more people would hear it. The title of this message is A Simple and Sustainable Faith. We're going to be looking at some of the core values and uh, philosophy of ministry of this church and uh, how we fit our our direction into that and how how our values give expression to the direction that we're going. So these are some fundamental things on our core beliefs. It's a little bit longer message than normal, but uh, lots of good stuff here. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and head to the talk. Thank you for listening. North Shore Vineyard Church, downtown Covington. One service is throwing me. Okay. Uh, Yeah, we'll pass the offering. Lord, bless us. Show us how to spend it. Amen. Okay. Okay. in other news, um, <laughs> help us, Lord. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to recenter here real quick. Lord, um, we, we do invite you to speak to this church this morning. We, we ask that we'd have open hearts. Um, Jesus, that you would be our vision, that, that we would get a, a sense of maybe things in our hearts that, that you want to deal with, and, and Lord, where you want to take us as a church. Come, Lord. Amen. On the top of your bulletin each week, it, we have this, this thing that says Life Connected. We've also got it outside. I think one of, uh, one of my neighbors thought that it meant that we were highly into uh, Internet uh, here at this church. And, uh, we are into the Internet just because it's cheap. It's cheaper to have a website than uh, uh, certain things. But our, our little slogan has nothing to do with technology, and it's not just clever marketing either. Life Connected really arises from, from some things God began doing in my life many years ago. And, and so today, before we get to where we're going as a church, I want us to kind of revisit some of the core values uh, and, and, and some of the guiding philosophy of this church. Because when we make decisions as a church, we, we don't want to just be under the kind of tyranny of the urgent. We've got to make some decision that, that makes sense, but we want to really decide everything we do based on what matters, what, what our values are. And so I, I want you to see that this life-connected thing, it's, it's much more than a slogan. It actually, it, it, it's pretty uh, well thought out. If you've come to our new members lunch before, or if you were here a couple of years ago when we started meet weekend services, we've talked about this idea a bit, but I'm going to revisit perhaps a, a little bit different idea of life-connected or the connected church. You know, years ago in ministry, I began to get a sense that something wasn't right. Uh, like, like, I'm sure if we got people to raise their hands today, probably many of you know someone personally in ministry who's fallen into moral failure or gotten screwed up with finances in the church, you know, caught, caught with, uh, you know, taking money from the church or, or people who just 
were in ministry and passionate for God, but they just got burned out and disillusioned. Does anybody know anybody in those categories? Wow, I'm surprised. I thought everybody, I, I know a lot. I know a lot of people personally in those categories. I know a lot of people that I've looked up to in ministry, people who've written books, people who were phenomenal speakers, great ministry leaders, people who had churches of thousands of people, people who had influence nationally and internationally, who just their internal life began to just fall apart. And it, it took a lot of people with them. And, and if you don't know anybody personally, at least you're probably familiar with some of the people uh, on a bigger stage. I began to really question maybe the way we're doing church. Maybe there's something wrong with kind of the way we do ministry. I saw it when I looked out at these people who'd fallen I also looked around a lot of people I knew in ministry and it looked like everybody was just a bunch of busy little bees trying to, to you know, there's a bumper sticker I saw one time that says, you know, uh, keep busy, you know, look busy, Jesus is coming. <laughs> and it's kind of a sarcastic little bumper sticker. But the sad thing is, I think a lot of people in ministry, you know, look busy. Here comes Jesus. We, we, we got to always look like we're doing stuff. But, but what I was beginning to find was that in my own heart, my own spiritual walk, things were really beginning to deteriorate. You know, I got into ministry not because it was a lucrative career option, <laughs> but because I, I, I'm, I'm the type of person that anytime I experience something good, I want other people to get in on it. You know, on my Facebook page or Twitter, you know, like if I find a good band, I'm telling people about it. If I find a good restaurant, I'm I want my friends to get in on it. When I met Jesus and, 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 and encountered the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ, I'm like, man, this is, this is the best ever. I want everybody to know I'm willing to give my life to that, that other people can encounter that love. So there, there was no problem with zeal in my life. I was zealous. I was after God. I was ready to leave everything. In fact, I did. I moved from, from Louisiana to, I mean, from Texas to Louisiana. Uh, but I, I hit the ground running in ministry right off the bat within about five months of being in Bible college up in Dallas. I went, I went from being, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll scene to two weeks later, I'm in a Bible college in Dallas. And, I, and within five months, and talk about a culture shock, uh, within five months, I'm, I'm, I'm working with my first youth camps there. And then after that, a few months later, I interned in a, a mission school, kind of like a YWAM thing. Went to Costa Rica for three months. I came back. I interned with a church for a year. Next thing I know, I'm helping with a college ministry out at LSU. Next thing I know, the, the guy resigns there. I'm the pastor of this ministry. I, from, from just about five months into my Christian walk, I've, I've been almost full-time in ministry for the last 20 years. And so there's, there's no doubt that I, I, I believe in ministry. But yet I found myself many years ago, beginning to question, <laughs> is there a better way to do this that doesn't destroy ministers? <laughs> it seems like some of the people that were the most passionate for Jesus in the church, the ones that serve every time the church is open, some, some of those were the most burned out, stressed out, miserable people ever. And I was one of them. <laughs> Something was not right. You know, when I, I went to the, I, I came on staff at the Vineyard on the South Shore um, it's, it was almost, I guess it's almost been 10 years now. Um, and, and when I came on staff there, uh, they were doing five weekend services and, and I, uh, you know, there was this, I've, I've begun to see that there's this kind of, um, 
thing that I've, I've had to deal with over the years, you know, my own uh, sense of needing to perform, to, to, to work hard, and, and my own, like, out-of-whack work ethic that probably has nothing to do with work and more to do with junk on the inside. But I, I, when I found out five services, I'm like, oh, yes, we got this. You know, it's kind of Rambo. Let's go in there and do it. And, and I did that. I, and nobody told me that I could take off a weekend uh, so I worked probably about 70 weekends in a row doing five services a weekend until I figured out, oh, wow, you can actually take a couple of these things off a year. Uh, but I led enough worship in that first year to, to, you know, I'd never been in a vineyard church before, but I, I covered about five years worth of uh, vineyard music in one year. And it took one year to, to get burned out. And I'm just like, dude, I, I, don't, I don't know if I ever want to do this again. Well, by the... Oh, well, actually, did I mention by the end of that first year, we were up to seven services. So, <laughs> And actually, for a brief but insane period of time, we actually tried doing eight weekend services. And uh, I don't recommend that for anybody. <laughs> but do you remember the Dunkin' Donuts commercials? The, the guy, he gets up, you know, time to make the donuts. That was me on Sunday morning. I'd wake up at 6 o'clock in the morning. I'd be like, time to make the donuts. I'd be like six hours till I get home, maybe six and a half. And, uh, and it would be singing like the whole time. Like I'd never lost my voice up until that point, but there were weekends because I would still play gigs outside of the church. There were actually some weekends where I played music for 20 hours in a, in a three day period and sang. And I started losing my voice for the first time, but I started to question it just seems like something's off because if, if this is the life that Jesus has invited us into, it, 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 it doesn't seem to be overflowing life. It seems kind of stressful. It seems like I, I was starting to live with kind of a, a low level depression. You know, I wrote a song around this time. Uh, I think I got the words for it on the screen. Uh, it's called Distract Me. And these are the lyrics from one of the verses. I am more than buttons to be pushed. We lose touch by everything that's feeling us. I am so much less than the image that you see, but I can only know that for a moment now and then. Would you please distract me? Distract me. Turn the input up. Fill the spaces in. A little more can fit inside the frame. Distract me. Distract me. We are going to see how efficiently to fill our lives with nothing but the same. You know, my wife, she, she was starting to say something quite often to me when I would get home at the end of the day. She'd say, we're tired of getting leftover Crispin. Because <laughs> I'd come home and I, I didn't have anything to give my wife or my kids. I was spent. But the truth was, nobody else was getting anything but leftover Crispin. <laughs> you know, I wasn't bringing 100% to my job, to, to anything. Even the things that I loved were beginning to wither and around this time, Hurricane Katrina happened. Now, now for, for a while, we'd been building up to this moment where we were going to move into a new building. The, the Kenner Vineyard had been in a strip mall for about uh, 20 years. And they just, you know, I thought we were buying up a lot of places. But they, they just, every time anything in the strip mall came available, they owned the whole strip mall. It was like Monopoly. Uh, they were about to put up a hotel there. Um, but we were, we were building had been working on a new building. We were so excited because we were going from having like six or seven different little buildings here and there to all of a sudden having one 
big building. We, we were excited. We were going to go from seven services down to three services, and that was exciting. And, uh, but then something happened. The, the, just uh, six days before we were going to, to have our grand opening weekend service, uh, a little thing called Katrina hit. And Katrina knocked the wind out of everybody's cells. Uh, our old building that we had been meeting in really got messed up bad. Our new building sustained some damage, but we were able to start using it fairly quickly as soon as we got the power back on. And Katrina, for me, in a sense, it, it reignited my sense of mission. Because I, I felt like I was on a, on a path to, to just being inside a church a whole awful lot. Like I found myself over the years, I, I was moving from being around people, ministering to people, to I was being up in a building, in an office, doing that all the time. And I think had Katrina not happened, I don't know if I would have made it too much longer on the path that I was going. Katrina, in a sense, it, 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 it reignited my sense of mission. I, I began to see how cooking a meal for someone and bringing it to them was a spiritual thing. Began to see like just coming up and ripping carpet out of someone's house or sheetrock was a spiritual thing. You know, some of the things we did with the building at that time were like we, we did a job fair to help people who didn't have jobs find people who had jobs, you know, and were willing to give them away. We got re- very creative in things. And, and I think it, Katrina, it, it really helped us to, to see some, some great things about mission, what we could do in the community, but it also see, helped us see some great things about a church building because our church building ended up housing people for the first three or four months after Katrina until they finally built a camp outside. It, it hosted job fairs. It hosted all kinds of things. We saw that, that we could, it could be a, a point for engaging the community. But as much as my sense of mission was, was getting re-inspired, I found that after about a year and a half, I was hitting that familiar place again of burned out, stressed out. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I found that emotionally, I was, I was just spent. Physically, I was just exhausted and I just couldn't recover. And then spiritually, I was just on autopilot. You know, I'm just, I'm just going on what I knew. I wasn't finding anything fresh before. And around that time, a, a good friend of mine, Susie, who was uh, one of the, the people on staff there at the Kinder Vineyard, she uh, gave me this evil little book uh, called Emotionally Healthy Church. We, we carry it in the bookstore. Uh, it's not evil. Uh, <laughs> And, and I began reading this book, which I, if you've ever served in, in ministry in church or <laughs> you're thinking about it, it's probably a good book to read. Uh, but in this book, there's a guy named Peter Scazzaro who's a pastor up in, in New York, in, in Brooklyn, I believe. And he started this church from scratch in New York, which New York is not the easiest place to plant a church. Got the church up to several hundred people, which, again, not easy to do in New York City. Their congregation was multi-ethnic. You know, they had 40 to 60 different nationalities represented there every Sunday. It, by, all, all, by looking at it from the outside, uh, everything was, it was a vibrant, healthy, amazing church that was doing the Great Commission. They were very into missions and all kinds of things. But 10 years into it, Peter's, uh, Peter's wife, Jerry, says, I quit. He says, what do you mean? She's like, I'm not going to your church anymore. <laughs> Problem. <laughs> what, what began to transpire after that was 
he, he talked with his board. They, they let him take off for a year to work on his marriage. And, and he, he began going through counseling therapy, began looking beneath the surface. And he realized that a lot of the things that had driven him for all those years, they, it wasn't Jesus. It was really broken stuff within. It was his own need to perform, his, his own lack of being connected with his own heart, his, his, his own uh, issues. As he, as he kind of uses the picture, if, if you ever look at a, an iceberg, uh, if you've ever seen an iceberg, I've never seen one in person, but uh, the, the little bit of the iceberg, you know, it's, it's just the tip, right? It's only the tip of the iceberg that's sticking above the surface. 10 to 20% of that iceberg is visible. 90, 80, 80 to 90% is beneath the surface. And he was making the case in this book that he had lived his whole life up to that point in that 10% above the surface, that, that little part that people could see. You know, it's like the, on the words of my song, you know, I, I put, I am so much less than the image that you see, but I can only know that for a moment now and then. I can only be in touch with that. See, the temptation when you're in ministry or in anything in the public, and it's not just ministry, it's in your jobs. The temptation I find in ministry when you lead worship and people get touched by God or when you preach a message and, and people get touched by God, they think you're a saint. They think you're amazing. They think like you got a, a special hotline to God. And it's so easy to let people think that. <laughs> yeah. You should see my quiet times. I get up at four o'clock every morning. And my kids, they see my halo. You don't want people to see that, that, that you get in fights with your wife, that you struggle with things. That, that you have all kinds of junk. And it's so easy to let people just see you for what is on the surface, for what that little 10% sticking above the water is. But if that's where you live, you, you, your, your encounter with Christ, is, it's, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. It doesn't go beneath the surface. Well, when I started reading P- Peter Scazzaro's story, I was like, uh oh, God! <laughs> I, I sense that we're uh, about to start dealing with some stuff, and God was like, "You're perceptive." <laughs> A few chapters in, they had this this emotional health assessment test, and it grades you on your emo- emotional health uh, in about six different categories. And I'm thinking, I've been a Christian for all these years. I'm in ministry. I got this. You know, I start filling out the thing, and and then I check the results. Surely I misunderstood this. The, the results seem pretty, pretty off here. I, uh, I, I must have graded it wrong. I, I look back and there was two categories that I did dismal in. I, I mean, bad. The two categories were coping with grief and loss and living within God-given limits. And at first I kind of got angry. You know, throw the book across the stupid book. What's this guy know anyway? <laughs> and I felt like God said... Let's look at your life. Let's, let's just pause for a moment and reflect. And I spent a few days talking with God and looking over my life. And I realized that for as long as I could remember as an adult, that was, that was the reality. I would get into a painful situation. And when things would get painful, I would just start working harder. <laughs> you know? When, 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 when I would uh, confront anything that would be a, a cause for, for grief... <laughs> Or, or anger or whatever, I would stuff it down and I would just throw myself into working harder and harder because work is something you can understand. You, it, it makes sense. It makes a lot more sense than your wife and your kids and, and, and these emotions that you 
don't feel like are very Christian. We don't easily want to share things about anger or lust or shame, do we? You know, it's like we want to push that down. It doesn't, it doesn't seem appropriate. So as I began looking over my life, I realized, wow, I got a lot of junk beneath the surface, God. And, and, and I realized that I couldn't continue to live that way any longer. If this was ministry, if this was the abundant life, then I didn't want it. <laughs> but I knew it wasn't. I had I suspected that there was something better out there. See, I was getting disconnected from my own heart. I want to read a quote from Henry David Thoreau, who wrote uh, in Walden. He writes this. When our life ceases to be inward and private, conversation degenerates into mere gossip. We rarely meet a man who can tell us any news which he has not read in a newspaper or been told by his neighbor. And for the most part, the only difference between us and our fellow is that he has seen the newspaper or been out to tea and we have not. In proportions, as your inward life fails, we go more constantly to the post office or to Facebook or to email or Twitter. You may depend on it that the poor fellow who walks away with the greatest number of letters, proud of his extensive correspondence, has not heard from himself in a long while. I can identify with that. I found even in my moments that, that could be quiet, I'm always looking for, I got I to gotta turn the TV on. I got to check my email. I got to go to Facebook. I got to do anything but be alone with myself. It was terrifying. Maybe some of you know what I mean. Henry Nouwen puts it like this in his book called Reaching Out. By running away from our loneliness and by trying to distract ourselves with people and special experiences, we do not realistically deal with our human predicament. We are in danger of becoming unhappy people, suffering from many unsatisfied cravings and tortured by desires and expectations that can never be fulfilled. Does not all creativity ask for a certain encounter with our loneliness and does not the fear of this encounter severely limit our possible self-expression? See, I, I, I think what was going on with me is I was running away from myself. I was running away from my pain. I was running away from my own sense of loneliness. But I, I realized I, I couldn't be just distracting myself anymore. Something had to change. I remember one day reading in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 in the message. I love this. This is the words of Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. You'll learn to live freely and lightly. You know, the words freely and lightly, that had nothing to do with where I was at. There was no freely and lightly about it. There was nothing, no, no kind of unforced rhythms of grace. I was like, what does that even mean? It sounds like a foreign country. I felt like God was saying, it's time to deal with the stuff beneath the surface. And so for the next couple of years, I began the inward journey. Sometimes it, 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 uh, it involved going to counseling. Sometimes uh, it involved cutting out things in my life. You know, a lot of what it involved was rearranging my schedule. 
I sat down with my schedule and I realized uh, that that I hadn't built my life around things that matter. I I've, I think I've got a little slide here called uh, wisdom from a bathroom wall. I found this in a bathroom one day. <laughs> the best things in life aren't things. You know, if there's one thing I learned from Katrina, the best things in life aren't, aren't your things, right? It's the intangibles. It's the people, you know? But, but, but how often do we consider the intangible things of life when we're building life? We, so often we consider things, jobs, this, that, but, but we forget to value the things that really matter. I remember after Katrina looking at the piles of debris that were on both sides of the street in our neighborhood thinking, you know, I'm so glad I have my wife and my kids. Like it, it whittled everything down to a few things that mattered. And those few things that mattered, a lot of them were very intangible. But they were the most important. And so I've, I, I, as I began this inward journey, I, I felt like God was saying, stop building your life around things that don't matter. Let's get down to the things that do matter in this life. And so I started rearranging my schedule. I talked with my boss. I said, look, I got a young family and... I, I need to be able to spend time with them. And I can't, I can't work every weekend at church because I'm not going to get these days back. <laughs> can, can I have more time off? And they let me have more time off. I began cutting out things in my life that I liked doing. There were some things that I really liked doing, but I realized I, I, I had too much junk crammed in my life. I cut them out. I started spending more time in solitude, more time just walking with God, going out to the lake, more time playing. Playing is a spiritual thing too, okay? Some of you need to hear that. <laughs> it's okay to play. And I, I, I began to recover my heart again. I began to recover my heart. I began to come alive. And over those, those years that follow, I remember, you know, my wife is really good at journaling. I mean, she's got literally like, it looks like encyclopedias worth of journals. Um, I'm not so good at that. But I do write a blog, and <laughs> that's my journaling. And I started writing a lot of stuff as I'm working through all these things and, and, and encountering God. And, and I realized there was this theme that began emerging. It was this idea of of life connected this idea that perhaps there's a way to do church that doesn't just burn people up and spit them out and it seemed like a foreign place because honestly i there's a not too many churches that don't struggle with this i mean some are better at it than others but it's 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 endemic in the united states <laughs> and I felt like God began showing me the, the ideas of, of, of what would it be like to be a church that not only worships God, but considers the inward journey. I, the, one of my favorite bands recently is called Gunger. Anybody listen to Gunger? You need to check them out. They're, they're awesome. Uh, but, but Michael Gunger, uh, they actually planted a church themselves up in Denver, but he, uh, uh, he wrote a blog this last week on worship. He said, you know, if you look at the top 150 songs that are sung in churches in America right now, uh, that's recorded by CCLI, that's the, public, the, the people who track all the songs that are sung in America. The top 150 songs, there's not one song of lament. And, and he made the case that a lot of times the way we do church, it, it enforces our running away from pain. He contrasted that with the Psalms. 
David, half the psalms he wrote were psalms of lament. Now, a lament doesn't mean just like a, a sad song. It's kind of like, I cry out. <laughs> I cry out for your hand of mercy to heal me. I'm weak. I need your love to free me. Lord, my rock, my strength. That's, that's a song of lament. It's not just doubt. It's not saying, you know, I suck. <laughs> but it's not just worship to God either. See, churches, a lot of churches are good at worshiping, but they're not good at lamenting. They're not good at, at facing their own fears, their own struggles. So again, it's a mile wide and an inch deep. I began thinking, what would it be like to be a church that worships God, that is very much connected to God, but we're also going deep, we're putting roots down. And then I thought, what would it be like? It seems like there, there are two kinds of churches, those that are really good at Christian community and those who are really good at welcoming outsiders. There's very few that are good at both. What would it be like to be a group of people who are intentional about community together, about getting in one another's lives, but, but not at the expense of the surrounding community, but they do it in such a way that doesn't put up barriers, but that invites people in to the journey. And so after writing about this stuff for many months, I thought, oh, maybe I'm writing a book. And, and I started thinking, okay, maybe I'll, I'd like to write a book. And somewhere along the line, we, we felt the call to plant a church. And I remember in the, the early days of, of just meeting in, in Mike Manifold's home in Madisonville, when we were just meeting with 10 people, I, I really began to sense God say, you know, all that stuff that you've been writing about the last couple of years, all the stuff that I've been doing in your journey, it wasn't just for you. It's for a place. It's for a church. It's for this church. That we could be a, a church that, that is about Christian community, about worshiping God, about connecting with the surrounding culture, but that we're connecting with one another's hearts. I believe that's a healthy kind of church to do. It's a rare church. <laughs> I hadn't seen too many. But I don't think it's impossible either. And, and the encouraging sign that I see is two and a half years into doing this church, I see that happening. I see that, that I, I'm, I'm so blessed to see, like on Wednesday night two weeks ago, we had like 20 women in here who are sharing their hearts, sharing their dreams and fears. And, and the same thing's happening with the guys every Saturday morning here. We've been doing wild at heart. And we've got guys who are getting together every Saturday morning to share their hopes, their dreams, their, their fears, their struggles with one another. People are, 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 are talking about stuff that you don't talk about in church on a Sunday morning. Some people for the first time in their lives. That's a good thing. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see a church that's connecting with the community. That we're... we're you know, just about to launch into this initiative to, to help build a home for a, a person that would be homeless otherwise. I, I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about just the times that we gather here every weekend to worship God together, that God's taken the broken, the beat up, the used. He's taken rich, poor, young, old from all different walks of life, and, and we're all worshiping God together. That's exciting. But I want to I say this. I want to look at two values today that, that, have, that I think are really key for us to keep in mind as we look at the days ahead. You know, I, I said this was a vision meeting kind of thing, and we're going to talk about where we're going as a church and what we're going to be doing. But being precedes doing. A lot of people get it backwards. <laughs> like, just go do, 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 do. That could sound bad. Um, <laughs> but without any any... Uh, thought into to how to be. And, and if we don't get the how to be part, we can forget the, you know, what we're going to do or how we're going to do it. So I want to look at, um, you know, 2 Corinthians eleven three says this. 
the Apostle Paul writes, I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived by Eve's deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Now, Paul was dealing with some theological issues here, heretical teachings that were trying to get in the church. I think if Paul was talking nowadays, he would still be talking about, (laughs) don't lose simplicity in Christ, even by ministry in church. I want to, I came across something that I, I, I'm just going to rip off today. Um, This is uh, nine reasons to under-program your church. Uh, Faith, who leads worship here, she posted this on Facebook the other day. And I thought, this guy says it as good as I could, so I'm just going to blatantly steal from it. But I'll give him credit. This is Jared C. Wilson. Okay. Um, Reasons to under-program your church. You can do a lot of things in a mediocre or poor way, or you can do a, a few things extremely well. All right? That's kind of a no-brainer. A lot of people, you know, since we started this church, when I, I it, it was kind of frustrating because I came from a church that had facilities, staff, budgets. You could do anything you wanted. And I remember in, in the first few months trying to, thinking, well, I'd love to have a Celebrate Recovery Christian Recovery program here. I'd love to do these things for women, these things for youth. But I had to, I had to kind of see the reality. Like, we're not going to be able to do all that. But we can do a few things really good. And those few things can, can be a part of our values. Secondly, over-programming creates an illusion of fruitfulness that may just be busyness. Have you ever been... Real busy serving God, but not very fruitful. Anybody want to admit? Yeah, I have. <laughs> Sometimes you, you think your busyness is fruitfulness. It's not. A bustling crowd may not be spiritually changed or engaged in mission at all. As our flesh cries out for works many times, filling our programs with eager, even servant-minded people is a way to appeal to self-righteousness. We're doing really good because look at all we're doing. Third, over-programming is a detriment to single-mindedness and community. Sometimes if we got everybody going in all directions, we have nothing in the center holding us all together. Four, over-programming runs the risk of turning a church into a host of extracurricular activities mirroring type A family mode of suburban achievers. You know... We don't need, there's some things in our culture that we don't need to just be silent on. We need to, to kick against that. There's a better way to live. You don't have to pack your whole entire life. It, it breaks my heart to see that, that now they're finding kids that are 8, 9, 10 years old who are suffering with stress disorders because they got so much crap in their life, so many activities in their life. They're stressed out. You shouldn't be stressed out at 8 years old. You shouldn't be stressed out. Not good. But we're training kids to be performance-oriented, overachievers just like us, and miserable as well. (laughs) We need to kick against that. Oh, shut up. Don't go there, pastor. Okay. (laughs) Number five, overprogramming dilutes actual ministry effectiveness because it can overextend leaders, increase administration, tax the time of the church members, and sap financial and material resources from the church. Number six, overprogramming leads to segmentation among ages, life stages, and affinities, which can create divisions in the church body. You know, one thing I've seen, you know, for the last 
20 years at least that I've been around church, everything has been trying to segment the church into different various affinity groups, genders, age. You know, so you put the old, old people in this classroom over here, the young people over here, the, the 20s over here. Uh, and, and I think it's, it's great to, to connect with people in their, their demographic. As much as, as, as I might not like this, I know 6 to 10-year-olds get nothing out of my messages, right? <laughs> Unless I use the occasional Pixar clip or something like that. And that's all they'll get. Uh, we want to co- co- we want to communicate with children on their level. That's important. We want to do things that connect with teenagers on their level. But I've seen so much of the time we we segment things in the church so much that it's not healthy at all. I've seen this scenario play out over and over again all across America. You get people in their twenties, and you say we're going to have a service for people in their twenties. And all of a sudden, that service becomes pretty cool. So much to the point that the people in their 20s don't like going to the regular service or being a part of that anymore. Pretty soon, they're like, why don't we just plant our own church? There have been multiple church plants that have done that way. But what happens when you get a group of people that are in their 20s without anybody that's older than that? It's a train wreck. People in their 20s need people in their 30s and 40s and 50s. Right? If you're in your 20s, you may not know that. But you do, okay? (laughs) Trust me, if you don't get anything today, get that. We need people who have lived a little bit of life because you think you know everything in your 20s and you don't. Oh, shut up. Don't go there. I did. I'm probably going to look back on my 30s and say the same thing, but I, I haven't, I'm not done with that just yet. I've got a few more months. <laughs> The church needs to, I, I love the fact that our church, when I look around, we've got pretty fair distribution from zero to 70 here. You know, we've got people of all ages here. I don't think there's any one group of people that's more represented than the other. And I think that's great. That's the body of Christ. I love that, that this morning we had several child, children's workers who couldn't show up because of different situations. I love that we've got teenagers who are willing to go back and help with the kids. That's awesome. That's the church. But if, we, if we're trying to meet every little demographic need across the board, we can be doing busyness that, that fights against the unity of the church. Seven, over-programming creates satisfaction in an illusion of success. Meanwhile, the mission suffers. If a church look like, looks like it's doing a lot of things, we tend to think it's doing great things for God when it really may be just providing lots of religious goods and services. This is an unacceptable substitute for a community on mission, but it is one we accept all the time. And the more we are engaged within the four walls of the church, whether those walls are literal or metaphorical, the less we are engaged in being salt and light. Overprogramming reduces access to and opportunities with my own neighbors. You know, I got to tell you, I I still play gigs outside the church. Uh, I had a great place I was playing, you know, every month, every other month called Sorelli's here until they shut down. But why do I do that? Because I got to do something that's not around church people. You know, I don't go, I mean, I'll play some song. I'm playing all my songs as a Christian. Okay. So, some, you know, everything I choose, but it's not all Christian songs. I play songs that people want to hear and the songs that I want to hear too. You know, I mean, I don't just do requests. Okay. But, uh, but it's a way for me to get out of the church and be around people who aren't Christians. I like you guys, okay? But I, for my faith to be vibrant, I need to get around some people that their first thought isn't hallelujah. <laughs> Bless God. It's people that speak English. No, just kidding. 
No, y'all are pretty good. I don't hear much Christianese here. Uh, but, but I remember years ago being a part of a church and, uh, that, that I was working at. And, and I, was, I was approached by somebody, what does playing gigs outside the church have anything to do with your job? I'm like, well, it has a lot to do with my job. If, if I'm just here around Christians all the time, then I'm going to forget how to create with people who aren't Christians. And there's a lot of people. That's the people I want to reach. Sometimes we can overprogram so many things within the church. You're always doing church activities that you don't even get to know your neighbors. You are not involved with, with any other thing, any other people outside the church. That's a bad thing. If that's you, cut out some of your involvement with this church. Number eight, we're almost done. Overprogramming reduces margin in the life of church members. It's a fast track to burnout for both volunteers and attendees, and it implicitly, implicitly stifles Sabbath. You know, the church, a lot of times we talk about you need rest in your life. You need to, you need to have Sabbath. But when they look at the church, we're, we're always making people work. <laughs> like our, our words don't measure up with our lifestyle many times. The church ought to be the place that models having margin in your life. That we're not overworking people, whether volunteers or, or employees or anything. That we're modeling a different way. That's the way our world works, but that's not going to be the way the church is going to work. Number four, or number nine. (laughs) Overprogramming is usually the result of unself-reflective reflex reactions to perceived needs and and an inability to kill sacred cows that we, that are actually already dead. Uh, yeah, uh, let me explain that. <laughs> I'm going to expound upon it. Uh, in other words, let me give you an example from my own life. I'm not proud of this, but uh, a little over a year ago, we haven't had a, 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 a lot of stuff for youth, and we had some youth here, so I thought, we need a youth group. And so there was a problem, and it needed fixing, and I thought, heck, I've done enough stuff among youth. I, I got this. And so I started being a youth pastor once a month, once a month, <laughs> once a month, <laughs> once a month. And after about five months, it was killing me. Like, I didn't realize how adding this one little thing was going to just push me over the edge. But it, it, the youth group was good, but it, it was going to kill me to do it. What was I doing? I was just reacting to something without any self-reflection, without any thought to whether this might be sustainable. I was just like, this is a need. We got to meet it. And it was going to kill me if I kept on. Sometimes we get what you call sacred cows in church. Well, we've been doing the uh, women's Bible study on Beth Moore for eight years now. That's, that's a fixture in our... We can't stop that. Beth Moore's good. Okay, well, maybe she's good, but maybe that's not what we're supposed to be doing right now. You can find another Beth Moore study somewhere else. That's okay. They're everywhere. Or we've been doing things like this for so long. You don't want to kill a sacred cow. People have attached themselves to it. Sometimes we just need to to shoot those things because a lot of times they're already dead. That's what he's saying. What we should do is always ask, should we, before we ask, can we? We need to always ask, will this please God, before we ask, will this please our people? Ask, will this meet a need, before we ask, will this meet a demand? I think these are some great things to think about as we move ahead. Now, what does this have to do with moving ahead in this church? I want to announce some news to you. 
We got a new building. Yay. All the hot people of God said amen, right? Uh, um, we have been outgrowing this building since about five months into it. <laughs> and used to, we had a wall right there. We actually could only hold about 65 people in here. And uh, we've been very creative with what God's given us. And uh, we've, we've managed to last this long. I didn't think we'd stay here this long. My initial thought was this building across the street had been vacant for three and a half years. So I thought, we'll stay here for a little bit and then we'll rent that. And then somebody else rented that and started church there. So thought, okay, well, last summer we actually started looking at another building and praying about it. We were getting to the point of about to make an offer on it. And the night we're coming up here to meet, I saw that it wasn't for sale anymore. Um, was talking with this pastor across the street for a few months. It looked like they were going to get into another building. That fell through. And I'm like, God, I don't know how. Like, we don't even have places for kids anymore. People keep bringing kids like crazy. I'm glad they're bringing kids. We love kids. But how are we going to pull this off? Well, I saw this this place right next to the green room. It's a bar uh, right across this back parking lot. And uh, some of you were there last night. Uh, no. Uh, and... It was for rent, so I called the lady up, and I, I asked you last week to be praying for us to, to help make the right decision in that. And uh, after meeting with our children's church people and leadership, we, we felt like that was the right thing to do, so we rented it. So the plan is that over the next month, we're going to remodel that place, and then this current building is going to become our, our children's ministry. We're going to have room for these kids to run around. Amen, right? It gets awfully crowded at our little room across the street. Um, but the idea is we're going to separate the the toddlers from the infants now because apparently the toddlers would probably do better by themselves. Uh, and, and so we're going to put the toddlers in another room. It's going to be padded. And uh, no. Uh, <laughs> And, and and we've got a lot of people who keep having babies around here, so we got a lot of infants too. So we're that'll give us more room for infants. We're going to convert our coffee room into our kindergarten classroom, and then this room will be for our six to ten year olds. And and it opens up some new new things we can do with children's ministry, like actually do you know dramas or or music and stuff in here because we have some room. Um, probably the biggest issue that we're facing going forward on doing this thing is that we're going to have two separate buildings. Um, we have had a separate building across the street, but there's going to be they're separated a little bit more. So we're going, you know, we're looking into getting a, a, a system where we're going to have cameras up in here and have a, a video feed over there. So parents, when you walk in, you can look at, at what's going on in the rooms at any time. We're going to be recording it as well. Uh, so security is going to be. We want this to be a, a, a safe and fun thing, not just fun. Uh, so that's one of our, our top things. But what's great is it opens up some great possibilities for us over there. Um, we've, we'll have some room, actually. <laughs> we'll have, we can put about 150 chairs in there. Um, as far as our alpha cor- course goes, alpha course goes and our marriage course and different things that we do, uh, it, it offers us a great venue for that. We've got a lot more room to, to you know, when we do Alpha in here, we put tables in here, but it, it gets, you can hardly walk around the room. So it gives us a little room to move. But what I like about this building over here is it, is it puts us right in the heart of where things are happening in Covington. We, as a church, we, we convert this church into a, an art gallery twice a year, put up uh, art on the walls for spring for art and fall for art. Uh, but now we're actually going to be in what was an art gallery. So <laughs> it's, it's perfectly suited for that kind of thing. So I'm really excited. The plan is uh, our our rent runs up to the end of this month. So we have to the end of this month to 
make the transition. So there's, there's a lot of things that need to happen in the next few weeks. We're already working on some plans. Um, but all that said, here are the two things that I want you to consider. As we move forward as a church, I'm committed to doing church in a way that is sustainable. And I don't want anybody who serves in this church to get burned out just doing good things. I think there's two keys in your spiritual life. When you come to church, you need to be receiving and you need to be giving. You need to be receiving and serving, right? If you're, if you're always serving but never receiving, guess what? You're going to get resentful <laughs> and burned out. You ever been there? Yeah. But if you're always consuming without ever serving, you're just going to become a self-absorbed consumer. You know, the church exists for me. Both of those are wrong. What we need to do is, is be people who receive from God, who participate in worship, but also who are, are giving out. So I want you to pray about, you know, one of, one of the biggest areas of need uh, in the coming weeks is, is children's ministry. Um, and, and I know we, we have a co-op here, which basically means if you have kids, we require you to serve if you decide to come to church here. Like we give you three months, I think. Sometimes two. Depends on <laughs> how bad we need it. But, but we ask that if you have a kid that, that you volunteer to serve at some point in, in children's ministry. Uh, but I want to ask those of you who don't have kids, uh, whether you're, you're retired or whether you're just young and never had kids, to consider being a part. You know, if you look at our band here each weekend, we, we have a rotating cast of characters. And uh, part of that is I've, I've, I've got the commitment that whatever area of church we have here, whether it's hospitality, uh, children's ministry, or even the band, that we want to try to shoot for people only serving once a month. Now, some of these areas were better than others. Uh, we, we fortunately have enough musicians where we can darn near pull that off on a lot of instruments. Um, we do that. We've got like five different people now working with our sound. We've got multiple people working on hospitality. But we need a lot of people helping with, with children's ministry. And if you're scared to death of children's ministry, just understand this. We, <laughs> I, I get it. You know, kid, kids can be scary. But we love kids. And, and our value here, we're not trying to babysit. You, you know, if, if you go see my wife back there with your kids, we don't have any young kids. She's not doing this because she has to be a part of the parent co-op and she's got a young kid. She does it because she loves babies. And, you know, when she's back there, you know she's doing with your babies? She's telling them Jesus loves you. She's talking to them about the love of God. They can't understand it, but we believe that even infants can encounter the Spirit of God, that, that, that God can do something there. We believe that, that, that it's important for toddlers, for the kindergartners. We, we do this stuff deliberately. We put thought into it, time into it, because we love kids. And, and we want to be a church that reaches kids. I'm excited to think about this place in here, that we're going to be able to paint the walls all kind of fun colors and, and make it, you know, like an exciting, colorful-looking place where kids on Sunday morning, they say, I can't wait to go to North Shore Vineyard, you know, because this connects with them. So I just want you to consider, number one, if you would like to help out with our children's ministry and you're not a parent, you know, even if it's once every two months, that could help us right now. I think if we could get eight to ten more people who could help out with children's ministry in some way, and you don't even have to know much of anything to do it. We train you. Uh, you might just be a supervisor. You might be su- uh, security. Uh, you might be teaching a lesson, or you might just be a prop uh, for Paulette. <laughs> But I, I, I want us to do that because here, here's another thing. When I look at Paulette, 
who, who, who is a director for the Cross the Street, Marsha, who helps her, and Dina. You know, these, these women, a lot of times, they don't get to go to church um, because they're always helping back there. And I don't want, I don't think that's good. I don't think that's sustainable either. So I, I want them to be able to serve because they love these things and they're a part of it. But I want them to have time out here too where they can be a part of adults' church too. It's good for that to happen. And I believe if we do this sustainable and simple approach, we get many years out of it where we're all growing, we're all, uh, where, where the overflow is it affects the kids, the adults, and everybody. So the final thing is I want you to be praying about, we're going to, why don't you pass around those cards? Um, we're going to pass around some cards that I, I don't want you to give them to us today, but I want you to just take this and prayerfully consider if there's a, a, an area you might be interested in serving in. And uh, I mean, you can, you can drop it here if you want before you leave, but if you, if you know right now, but, but take this and pray about it. The other thing is uh, to get into this new building, we're probably going to, we're looking at probably, I don't know, probably twenty dollars to $30,000 worth of, of remodeling, you know, got sound equipment, got to put carpet in. We're, we're tearing out one room. We're putting a cry room in there. We got technology costs and stuff like that. Uh, just be praying, and we're going to take a special offering in a few weeks, so just be asking God, is there anything that I can give to this as well? So we're not, it's not going to be a high-pressured, guilt-ridden thing, but just ask God. That's all we want you to do. So in closing, do we have any questions? Yeah, we got cards. They're, they're coming around. Hopefully, we got enough cards. We need more. Okay, we may be out. Yeah, how about we share cards? Uh, got some extra cards here. <laughs> you, might, you might go, shoo, I didn't get a card. I don't have to think about that. Yes, <laughs> the Lord wants me to receive. <laughs> Um, does anybody else got any questions? I, I got to let the kids out here pretty quick. Speaking of, or they're going to, uh, we're going to, we're going to be updating you each week on where things are as we go along, but I'm excited to do this. And, and I, I'm excited to, to even again, pursue out this idea of being a connected church, uh, as we go up forth. Cause I believe, I believe we're stepping into a new time where, where we're going to be able to connect with the people of downtown Covington in, in a, in a better way. And with families and, and all of you. So one more question? Hey, Crystals, um, you got a month to get that place together. The idea this week, we're trying to come up with a plan. <laughs> and as we come up with a plan, we'll, we'll probably next week we'll have, uh, we'll let you know what we need on the volunteers, uh, what can be skilled labor, what can be unskilled. Uh, there's really not a whole lot that we've, we have to do on, on the construction side. Um, but there is a lot on the, the sound installation and, and things like that and AV stuff. So I, a lot of this may take some people that really know what they're doing. Uh, if you know how to do that, that's fine too. I, I don't. Um, I'm not going to screw it up. But, yeah, we'll let you know. Uh, we may. I, again, as we get the plan together in the coming weeks, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll say, anybody got one of these lying around? Uh, yeah, we'll let you know. Um, we may need that. Thank you. Any other questions? Comments? Contentions? Okay.
Why don't you stand? Lord, this morning we thank you for what you're doing in our our church, for the opportunities and challenges that we're facing. God, we pray for you to give us wisdom on on how to uh, do things. We pray that your spirit would empower us to go forward. Lord, we we pray that we wouldn't become an over-programmed church, but that we would just uh, stick to the simple ideas of of seeing what you're doing and, and coming alongside that. We pray that we could be a church that... Uh, really loves kids and communicates them your love, Lord, and adults as well. Give us grace and wisdom and the courage to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. Well, thank y'all. I know we went long today, but uh, if anybody needs prayer, come on up to the front. We've got some prayer folks for you.